All right, so last week we talked about rest uh, and entering God's rest by letting go of our self-dependence and depending on him. But life is often busy and not very restful and kind of complicated and sometimes sad. And so I wanted to talk today in real practice about how we go about entering that rest or how, how we build faithfulness to go through the hard times and honestly to go through the good times. Good times can be seductive, just like bad times can be overwhelming. And so the point is to not found yourself on your circumstances, but on the reality of God. So we grow more faithful by training our focus on Jesus, the faithful one. And we do this through many tiny steps to understand, trust, and care about facts that matter about Jesus. But why do we need to grow in faithfulness? Like, doesn't following God get us out of difficult situations? That's a, a pervasive cultural idea that I run into all over the place. You know, your miracle is right around the corner. God has great things in store for you. Everything is about to get good for you because you're following God. And I, I do believe that God has blessings for us that he gets us out of, or at least through difficult circumstances. But based on the Bible and even the teaching of Jesus, he also sometimes gets us into difficult circumstances. Uh, in fact, this might be Jesus' worst promise. He was talking to his followers at one point about some bad things that were going to go down. He told them, even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Cool, Jesus. Like, not my favorite promise. Except it actually kind of is, because if you read the rest of it, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And that's kind of paradoxical, like, they will kill some of you, but not a hair of your head will perish. And I love that, because what it does is, once you sit with it and kind of break through, you realize there's a deep, like, there's a next level thing going on here. Whatever they do to you, whether people reject you, betray you, hurt you, kill you, take away all your stuff, whatever, they can't actually touch you. Like, there's nothing they can actually do to you. Um, And... We see this in Hebrews, too. The, the audience that the author was writing to, they said, remember you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So they experienced this standing up for Jesus led to betrayal, rejection, loss of property, loss of social standing. How did they stay faithful through that? I think it's here. It's they trained their focus. They knew that there were better things waiting that will last forever. It was not about what was going on around them. It was about what Jesus was doing and has done. So, again, we grow more faithful by training our focus on Jesus, the faithful one. We do this through many tiny steps to understand, trust, and care about facts that matter about Jesus. And to explain this, uh, I'm going to have to reveal the secret of happiness. So this is something that clicked for me a few years ago and has revolutionized my life. Uh, It's all about training your focus. And basically, happiness is like an onion. So there are a lot of layers. And whenever anybody asks me these days how I'm doing, I don't know how to answer because the truth is I'm doing lots of different ways on lots of different levels in lots of different areas of my life. And I realized a while back that happiness or joy or peace, settledness, works in layers. You can 
go deeper and deeper about what you care about more and more. And so if I have, you know, some of you have heard me say this before, but if I'm at the office and I have a great sandwich for my lunch and I'm really looking forward to it and then it falls on the floor and that's terrible and then I go home and my family is waiting for me and my girl's giving me hugs and everybody's happy and healthy, there's only so bad that sandwich mishap can make my day. And conversely, if I'm really looking forward to that sandwich and I eat it and it's incredible and then I go home and my family's been kidnapped, like that good sandwich is not improving my day very much anymore. So like I care much more about my family than the sandwich. So whatever's happening with my family is what's really going to affect my peace, my joy, my happiness. The sandwich can barely touch me in the end. You know, it's about my family. And the thing is that goes layer after layer. You can keep saying, but at least, you know, it's like I dropped my sandwich, but at least I got home safely, but you know, then the pipe burst, but at least we still have the house, but everybody's mad at me, but at least I still have my job, or I got fired, but at least, you know, I still have whatever. And you can go all the way down, and at the end, you will come down to a core. You will say something in the end, like, but at least everybody still likes me, but at least I've still got a lot of savings, but at least Jesus is alive. You know, and so the, the, and the thing is, it's not really, since this is about your happiness, your joy, your peace, it's not really about what is real. It is about what you care about among the things that are real or even that you are perceiving to be real. So, so we have to train our focus. We have to come to care about the fact that Jesus is alive, which is a much more stable core foundation than about the fact that, say, everybody likes us, which is not stable at all. And you, you see this all the time. Like, whenever, like, if you start looking for it, you realize when we see people being faithful, it's all about where they're looking, what they're remembering. So we see do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, who, because of the joy awaiting him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So Jesus set his focus on the joy that was before him, and that got him through the worst trial in human history. And we set our focus on Jesus, and that gives us the strength to follow him. So now it's time for the lightning round. So I, I keep talking about these, like facts that matter, things to set our focus on. And the reality is that you, you have to have actual things, and there are a lot of them. I, this is the part where I could go on for hours. I'm not going to. Um, so we're just going to do bullet point list. This is, I'm just giving you the menu, and then I'm going to teach you how to eat, and then I'm going to send you out, and you can do the rest. So this is just like a quick example overview of some of the things you can just in Hebrews, like the Bible's full of them, but just some, some of the things that you can start to train your focus on that will give you more peace, more stability, more willingness to stay faithful through difficult circumstances. So we see Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. He's more powerful and permanent than angels. He's the high priest of a deeper priestly order, a more lasting one. He succeeded through every temptation. He defeated the power of death. And I'm going to stop at this one because it's amazing. He, so we say, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And the thing is, coming into this, I would just expect Jesus defeated death and now we're alive. And it is much more interesting than that. Like, he defeated the power, he broke the power of the devil who had the power of death and when you look a little 
later, it's like that power was that it keeps us in fear. Like as long as we can die, we have something to be afraid of. Except now we don't because Jesus died and then came back, which shows that death does not have to be permanent, which means that we don't have to be afraid of dying, which means we don't have to be slaves to that fear. It's like a much more interesting and powerful thing. But I'm going to go on because, again, I could talk about that for a long time. (laughs) So Jesus offered a better sacrifice in the true temple, and he finished the job. First priest in history to sit down during the temple service. He made peace between us and God. He opened a way for us into God's presence. Again, the high, the, the holy of holies in the temple was a place that one person could go one time a year very carefully at risk of death. Jesus opened the way for each of us to go into the holy of holies in the true temple in heaven, the actual presence of God at will. It's incredible. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He rules the world forever. It is amazing. And That's just a little bit about who Jesus is and what he's done. And then you see this epic plan that we're a part of and how hard times build discipline and faith in God. They help us grow in empathy and solidarity with oppressed and hurting and rejected people, which is where Jesus is, by the way. Like, if you want to consistently find Jesus, go where people are oppressed and marginalized and hurting, and that is where you will find him. And we're joining in the millennia-long plan with those who went before. There's this very interesting aside about how all these people who were very faithful didn't actually get the prize yet. Like, they didn't get the reward they were looking for because it depends on us doing our part, too. Like, we're joining in this long-standing process. And it gives us deeper fellowship with Jesus. Now, in fact, I realized while I was preparing this that Jesus is still alive in a resurrection body waiting for the fulfillment of his desire. Like, that joy that was set before him is not completely fulfilled yet. He has been waiting for thousands of years and continues to wait and pray and work and rejoice in the presence of God, and we can do the same thing with him. And as we wait and pray and rejoice in the presence of God, we're joining in to Jesus' experience. We can get to know him better. And that's not all. There are incredible promises. that, And just like you see who God is, what his intentions are, what he has set in place for us. We're invited to enter into God's Sabbath rest, like we were talking about last week. He double-appointed Jesus with an oath and a promise, and it took me a while to, like, I still haven't fully got my head around that, but it clicked last night. That's kind of like saying, yes, this is my wife, and also she's my power of attorney, and also she's a notary public. She can make this decision for me. (laughs) Like, it is super, super firm that she can. And then we're looking forward to a city with foundations, a country that we can call our own, a better place, a heavenly homeland, a great reward awaiting us. Like, Rebecca spoke this morning about, or read this morning about how the people considered themselves nomads. And it's true. Like, If you see this world as a place where you're an immigrant passing through, trying to get back home, it changes everything. If you think this is your home and if something breaks here, it's broken, you're much more fragile. If you know whatever happens here, I'm about to pull up stakes and move on to the next step of the journey. And one day I will get to the city that has foundations. I'll have my true home. I'll have my true prize. I will be with God. It's a game changer. And we have a reasoned hope in God's resurrection power, the restoration of God's promises. We see it was by faith that Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So this was God's promise to Abraham. This was the big promise that Abraham's life was centered on. And God told him to sacrifice the Isaac 
the miracle son that, he had, that God had already miraculously provided and through whom he was going to give the promise. And Abraham was faithful. And why was he faithful? He reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And I love that this demonstration of Abraham's faith is settled in Abraham's reason. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, I love that this is not actually how God solved it, but it's why Abraham obeyed. He saw, God did give me a promise, and God keeps his promises. God told me to sacrifice the son through whom the promise is going to come. But God is good. God is faithful. God did give me this promise. God did give me this son. So I guess, worst case scenario, he can bring him back from the dead. I will do my part, and we'll let God do his. So, sorry, my clicker died. Sorry, just a moment. Yeah. So we grow more faithful by training our focus on Jesus, the faithful one. So just like Abraham did, we do this through many tiny steps to understand, trust, and care about facts that matter about Jesus. So Abraham understood who God is. He trusted the promise. And uh, and actually, you see that many tiny steps. This was a late step in the long journey Abraham had of small and large steps of obedience with God, and God had stayed faithful in every one. Go ahead. So we grow more faithful by training our focus on these facts that matter about Jesus, the faithful one. Um, But how do we actually train our focus on Jesus in real life? Like, it's fine to lightning around, talk about all these cool things, blah, blah, Hebrews, whatever, but like, what do we actually do? We do this, I'm so glad you asked, through many tiny steps to understand, trust, and care about facts that matter about Jesus. So we talked about the facts that matter, but we shouldn't talk about now the how. We train our focus on Jesus by engaging our minds, that's the understanding part, by engaging our emotions and imagination, that's the trust and care part, and by embracing a gradual process, that's the many tiny steps part. So a key part of growing in faithfulness by increasing dependence on God is understanding who God is and what he's actually done. And Hebrews is a great place to do this. I mean, I know we're done with it now, but you can go back. It's worth it. Um, The whole book is a really well-laid-out intellectual argument. Beautiful, really interesting, very compelling. I actually spent the better part of a year recently just slowly going through the whole book line by line, and it's incredible the more you sit with it. And the thing is, I do that in a thinky kind of way. Like, I'm thinking about what it's trying to tell me, what argument it's trying to form. And I'm a writer, and I've realized that as I read the Bible, coming at it the way I would when I'm writing a mystery is actually very helpful to me. Like, I'm a... or When you're writing a mystery, you have to think about what everybody knows when what everybody thinks everybody else is thinking, why everybody did what they did, and why everybody thinks, or like who everybody thinks did what, when, why. It's this whole web of, you know, it's this tangled theory of mind thing. And I've started realizing, if you look at the Bible that way, and you say like, okay, not just what does it say, 
not even just what is the actual argument here and what is it trying to convince me of, but why are they trying to convince me of that thing? And why did they use that evidence? Like, why did they quote that verse here? I, the whole first chapter of Hebrews, like the first few verses are incredible. And then I would just like kind of breeze by the rest because it's weird. It's about like angels being fires and, and whatever. And I started at one point digging in and I like looked up all the different verses and went back and read, read the passages that those verses are quoting. And I start, it started clicking for me. It's a very interesting argument that he's actually making, which I'm not going to go into right now. But I was thinking about it. I was being curious. And I was noticing the parts that I didn't understand, maybe don't even fully believe yet. Like there, there are things that I realize I apparently don't believe the way I think I do. Like if, if God is so perfectly provider, why am I ever nervous about anything? <laughs> um, so, so again, that gets back to that, like letting things settle into your heart where you care, where you trust it which we'll get to in a moment. But first you have to understand what is actually being said, what has actually been done. Like God did actually make a covenant, a contract, a promise. God did actually appoint Jesus to various key roles in his administration, you could say. It's a weird way of putting it, but there are all these things that have actually happened that we, once we learn about them, it gives us a basis to understand and move forward and grow in faithfulness. And I really just want to emphasize this um, tricky parts are like signposts, not campsites, is how I put it. That didn't resonate for Kristen. So, so tricky parts are red flags, or like they're the flags that show where the real value is. That's like yeah. it's like a, if you did a geological survey and found like where you should mine for the gold or dig for the oil. Like the tricky parts are the the markers that show where you should sit for a bit. It's, it's very easy to slip past those and just say like, nah, I don't really get that, nah, I don't, mm, whatever. But like, notice the parts that you don't get, that you don't believe, that you're not sure about, that, you, mm-hmm. that, that like raise issues with you, and sit with that for a long time. Think about it, figure out what they're actually saying, figure out why it might be true. Come with an, a, a desire to understand. Like, consistently, all my biggest, most transformative insights have started at the port parts that I was like, eh, I don't really get that. In fact, it's inevitable that that's the case because all the parts I did get and did agree with, I already got and agreed with. So stopping at the parts where I didn't that felt weird to me are the parts that like grow me in a new direction that actually have the possibility to transform me. And there's a great trick here that a, a pastor I really love uh, teaches, which is basically to say, anytime you get a little insight or see something, tell God thank you, and then ask him, show me more. <laughs> um, yeah. And... The thing is, he usually will. It's sometimes just kind of a little glimmer. Sometimes it's a huge insight. Sometimes it's you know, really touching your heart. And then you say, thank you. And then you say, show me more. And thank you. Show me more. And it just goes in this cycle, and you get more and more and deeper and deeper, and it becomes intoxicating and sort of addictive. Uh, you can go ahead, and you can skip the next one. Thank you. Uh, next, we engage our emotions and our imagination. And the thing is, a lot of people are sort of nervous about emotions and imagination with good reason. They don't make a solid foundation. They're not what you should base your life on. But I do believe rightly understood and rightly used, they are a huge gift from God. Our, our emotions are not just like flaky things about, about what we care about and what we're wanting and you know, what we feel like right now. I believe emotions are how we care. Like if your emotions are not engaged, you by definition do not care. And so... If we're supposed to care about following Jesus, if we're supposed to care about people around us, if we're supposed to care about God's plan, whatever, 
we do that by engaging and cultivating our emotional response to it. And I think we do that primarily by engaging our imagination as well. Like, your imagination is what directs your desire, which is what shapes your emotions. Yeah. Like, if I really want my family to be healthy and they're not, suddenly I, you know, my emotions will be stirred up. If I really don't care about rugby and somebody suffers a catastrophic loss, I don't care. So, so what I want, like if I want that pennant cup or whatever they have in rugby to be my teams, whichever teams they have, I will super care about who wins and who loses. My emotions will be very into it because of what I desire. So we shape our desire using our imagination. Like I'm, this is a working theory, but I'm starting to think you might not be able to want something without using your imagination. Like if I'm hungry, what I want will depend on what I'm imagining to fill that hole. Like if I want a hamburger, it's because I'm picturing how good a hamburger would be. If I wanted a hot dog instead, that's what I'd be picturing. So, and the thing is, you can, you can set your imagination on things. In fact, let's try a little exercise. Like, right now, just think of someone you really love, who really loves you, around whom you always feel welcome and encouraged and settled. And just think about them giving you a hug or a word of encouragement about how you've been doing lately. It'll take 10 seconds. So if you did that, you'd probably feel better. I just imagined, just like remembered what it's like for my dad to hug me. And it's great. Like I feel calmer <laughs> up here. And the thing is, I was not making that up exactly. Like, yes, my dad didn't just hug me, but I know what my dad is actually like. I know what his hugs are like. I know the effect they actually have on me. I've experienced that. And it's more that I was settling back into that true experience than that I was making up something to make myself feel better. And we can do the same thing with God. We can, as we, like, once we know these facts that matter about who God is and what he's done, we can settle into those imaginatively, emotionally. We can, and, and this is where I think stories and songs and you know, media of all sorts become important. Like, find stories that do reflect those truths and that resonate with you, that, like, match your style. I, you know, I've been I was sort of running conversation with Marie about like Lord of the Rings and all these great books that bring out, you know, it's like you look at Frodo's faithfulness and you look at Aragorn, like this last time I read through it, popped for me in a whole new way as this incredible, humble king figure. And it helped me understand Jesus. And it's, again, it's not that I was making stuff up about Jesus, it's that something about Aragorn brought something real about Jesus deeper into my emotional web. And so, so now, like, I care more. I get more excited. I, like, come to tears a little bit more easily when I think about Jesus, the humble king, because I have this great, albeit imaginary, example of a humble king that shows me those real things in a way that I can catch, catch on to in my heart. Um, so, yeah, just feel, it, it's, it's important once we actually know those facts that matter, once we have done the intellectual work to figure out what is there, and to really believe it, like understand why we should believe it, to care about it, to take time to feel your feelings, feel the good feelings, feel the bad feelings. Like, if you, if you never enter into the emotional space with these things, it will stay in your head. And that, I think, is like, there's a key cultural phenomenon where people stand up and cheer at football games, 
and don't stand up and cheer in church in the same way in general. And I think it's because we have trained ourselves to want certain things in the sports arena because it's something we can really latch on to. Like, we can get behind a team, we can get behind those stories, we can get into that action in a way that we have not taken the time to get into that lightning round, all that stuff, because a lot of it's invisible, a lot of it's in the distant past. Like, I understand why it's harder to get really into that, but you can, and it's important. It's beautiful to do it. Like, honestly, on Thursday night when we were talking about what we're thankful for, the first thing that popped into my head that I'm really grateful for, like, that I'm excited about these days, is that Jesus sat down. <laughs> Which, I, you know, like, I was watching the girls, so I didn't say it, and also started feeling weird in the context of, you know, just like Thanksgiving and stuff. But it's incredible. Jesus was the first priest who sat down in the temple service. He actually finished the job. Again, not going to go into it, but it's crazy. And like I've now sat with that enough in enough different ways that it, like you can hear it in my voice. My, my heart rate is getting up just thinking about it. It's crazy. It's so cool. And finally, um, the, and the last point here is embrace it's a gradual process. Like you can't jump from not really caring to really caring, from not really being super faithful to being super faithful in an instant. Like if you, you know, kind of come to church and do the thing and are mostly pretty okay with Jesus, but, you know, a little like don't want to get weird about it at work, and then you enter into a situation where there's real persecution and they're lining people up or whatever, you're probably going to be so used to just kind of like not really wanting to make a stir that you'll hang back a little bit. It's very difficult to make that jump all in one big step. But if you take little steps every day, little by little, you will grow. It's, it's kind of like a while back I was into weightlifting and I learned that even if you're doing everything right, you can mostly, um, you can put on about one to two pounds of muscle a month. So you can't just like get jacked up and put on 25 pounds of muscle just by working like really extra hard. Like it just does not work that way. You just have to keep exercising, keep eating right, keep resting right, and keep coming back month after month after month until you hit whatever the target is. This is the same kind of thing. It's like you, <laughs> they say the best way to, or best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago and the second best time is now. So like wherever you're at in the journey, just like start now. It will be better than if you hadn't. And the really practically, the way to show up day after day, I, have, I don't know if there's ever been a time this has not worked for me in terms of giving me at least a little more glimmer of either insight or caring more about Jesus. I just show up with a Bible, a notebook, not a phone, optional music for a set amount of time that I decide in advance and sit there with a willingness to learn something and ask God to show me something. And that's it. So, last slide. We grow more faithful by training our focus on Jesus, the faithful one. We do this through many tiny steps to understand, trust, and care about facts that matter about Jesus. The more you learn who Jesus actually is, what he's actually done, and train your emotions to care about that, the more you will have the strength to get through the difficulties in life and without it being a big job for you. It's about resting in those realities. Thank you.